welcome to The Happy Writer, a podcast that aims to bring readers more books to enjoy and to help authors find more joy in our writing. I am your host, Marissa Meyer. Thanks so much for joining me. I hope you guys are continuing to stay healthy and safe in this season of coronavirus. Um, I have been getting a lot of questions lately about the intro music on the podcast. Um, yes, that is me playing my ukulele. Um, I wanted to learn to play an instrument my whole life, uh, never picked it up. Uh, and then a couple years ago, my husband got me a, a ukulele for Christmas, uh, which I think we can agree is the happiest instrument. So I've been trying to, to learn and, and that is me playing at the start. Um, and that is also the thing that is making me happy today. My, my ukulele that I love so much. On that note, um, I'll also go ahead and give a shout out to my ukulele teacher. His name is Alexander Atwood. Um, he gives private lessons normally if you happen to be in the Tacoma area and want to learn, uh, to play ukulele or guitar. Um, of course not right now because don't leave your house. Um, or if you're interested in learning the bass guitar, you can find him on youtube.com slash step-by-step bass. The other thing that is making me super happy today is to get to talk to today's guest. He is one of my personal autobi authors. I have loved everything that he has done. Um, his books are quirky and mysterious and bloody and romantic. <laughs> Uh, and I'm a really, really big fan. Uh, he is the author of the YA thrillers Last Seen Leaving, White Rabbit, and Death Prefers Blondes, mm -hmm. as well as the upcoming paranormal thriller The Fell of Dark, which I think is coming out this summer, but he can confirm that for us. Um, <laughs> and he's also going to tell us about his newest book, which just came out on April 7th, A Werewolf in Riverdale. Please <laughs> welcome Caleb Rurig. Hello, and thank you for having me. <laughs> thank you for being here. Did I get everything accurate? You did. Good. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> it's been fun trying to research books and book releases, and what exactly is everybody up to right now? Oh, I know, I know. And this is going to be this. This will be a very busy year for me. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I'm How so? You know, you have two books coming out. Is what else I... is happening? I actually, so I actually have three books oh. and a short story in, in an anthology. Um, so my, I, A Werewolf in Riverdale dropped April 7th. And then um, next month in May, <laughs> uh, I should, I should be like more specific about the dates since I'm not sure when this is going to air. Um, <laughs> but in May, uh, I have a, a short story in the anthology um, out now, Queer We Go Again. Uh, and, that's, <laughs> and that is being what a good edited. Title. I know it's being edited by Sandra Mitchell, and it is being published by Inkyard Press. Um, and I, oh my goodness, I wish I, I have the date on the top of my head. It's May something, um, maybe twenty first. And then I have the Fell of Dark, which comes out July fourteenth. And then I have a mystery project which I am finishing up right now that has not been announced yet, so I don't think I can share details, but that is coming out in October. So October 6th is my third book this year. Uh, oh my goodness. I know, yeah. I'm 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 excited about this one. It's a it is this is um it's a, a licensed property, so it, it was it's uh -huh. work for hire. Um, but it's it is a property that I'm really excited to be involved with. So I, I had a lot of fun writing it and I'm, I'm looking forward to having it be out there. 
That was a really mean teaser. I know, I know. <laughs> I'm so I wish curious you, now. I know, I wish I could say more. What I can say is that, um, <laughs> is that for the enterprising, you can find it because it is... It, there is a listing for it on Amazon. I don't think it's on Goodreads yet, um, but I did have somebody who DM like literally the second that it appeared on Amazon. I had a reader send me a direct <laughs> message and say, "Is this you? Did you write this? What's this?" <laughs> so readers are so on top of things. Oh, I know. They they know. find out about things before we do sometimes. No, seriously, I had no idea that it was up on Amazon until I got this message. It was like it was like it was like a with a screen grab of the of the thing, and I was like, "Oh, it's out there with a the description." <laughs> so, <laughs> okay, yeah. so if anyone wants to be good sleuths, they can yes. go and find it. Um, which I will be doing as soon as we are done with this interview. <laughs> and then I'll email you and gush all about it. Oh, yeah. Um, yay. So, so that's a lot happening. Uh, yeah. Let's talk about your next book, though, the one or the one that just came out, um, yeah. A Werewolf in Riverdale, which, yes. as I understand, is based on the classic Archie comics, but with yes. a twist. Tell us about that. Yeah. So... Um, this is actually, it's a, it's a funny story, but I, when the show, so I, I grew up reading Archie comics. That was like, my, my dad had a lot, used to go on a lot of business trips when we were kids. And when he would come home, he would buy Archie comics for us at the airport and bring them home with him. So we grew up kind of immersed in the world of Archie Andrews and, and Riverdale. So when the when the show came out, I was so excited. I, I was thrilled that there was that the, these familiar characters were going to get a new you know new life breathed into them, find a new audience. And I um, when I when I learned that that Riverdale and Archie Comics had had sold their intellectual property rights to Scholastic, I got on the phone with my agent and I said, "I want to be a part of this. If there is any way, please pitch me to them." And she did, and it's sort of like. We received a really nice response, but then it kind of kind of nothing happened for a while. They'd already hired a writer to do the Riverdale tie-in novels, so uh, it was just sort of it was just a nice contact. And then a few months later, uh, they reached out to me because um, Archie Comics has uh, an offshoot called Archie Horror, and they do a series of comics. They've got um, Jughead: The Hunger, Vampironica, uh, Afterlife with Archie. I think is one of them. They've got some crossovers so they're, they're doing zombies they're doing werewolves they're doing vampires and they were going to uh they wanted to hire a writer to do a tie-in novel for um jughead the hunger and they offered that to me and i jumped at it i jumped at it so it's a whole series so the comic series is about jughead turning into a werewolf uh and i got to write i got to write a book based on that. And it was, I mean, it was so, it was so ideal. It could not have been more perfect for me. I've loved these characters my whole life. And I love this. I love this twist, like putting this paranormal horror twist on it. I got to take characters that I grew up with and love, and I got to feed them to monsters on the page. It, it was <laughs> wonderful. So I had, I had such a great time writing this. It just like every aspect of it was fun. Was there any part of you that was, um, kind of intimidated or felt pressure taking these very well-known, very beloved characters and like now you get control over them. Like, were you afraid of that at all? Yes. Oh yes, absolutely. I think, you know, 
my initial, like my very first instinct was I, I jumped at it. I said, this is perfect. I want this so bad. And then as soon as I sat down to write it, I thought, can I actually do this? Like, like it was that, that moment where I was like, I imposter syndrome, or I was like, I've bitten off way more than I can chew. Like I, I opened the book with a scene where Dilton Doily is, is walking through a cemetery at night. And I thought, I was like, I, I'm actually putting words in the mouth of Dilton Doily. Like I grew up reading, like this is somebody like I, I, my, like I remember reading these comics with my parents when I was still learning to read and like seeing these characters and just now I'm actually like, I'm creating characterizations for them. Like I'm putting words in their mouths and I'm giving them emotions and background. And so, yeah, it was really intense, but I, I also feel like in a way, um, in a way, I, I've talked to authors who have, who have done this before, and they're, they're, people fall fall into one of two camps: one being that having having all that groundwork done for you is either liberating or it feels very confining. And mm-hmm. I, I, for me personally, I found that I it actually was a little liberating because I I didn't have to worry about um, introducing these characters to the reader. I didn't have to worry about establishing who they are as people because they exist. So I got to just take them, like you know, I'm I'm. I, somebody handed me a paint set and then said, I don't have to mix the colors. I just get to figure out how I put them on the canvas. Um, in a way, there's, there's a different kind of creativity that comes with that. So I, I ended up having a lot of fun doing this, sort of finding my voice within this world and sort of figuring out how I want to paint with these colors. I love that analogy. It's a little bit like writing fan fiction, I feel, yes. um, which I come from a fan fiction background. And as you're describing it, it's like, yeah, you know, you have these characters that you already love and you know so many of your readers already love um and so yeah. you kind of have that foundation already going into it but now you can now what can we do where can my imagination go with that yes i basically tell people it is it's it's fan fiction but you're writing it in an au it's a horror au with with <laughs> with werewolves and monsters but it's these characters and i kind of get to i am it is not archie comics like it's not the original archie comics you know so there's a different flavor to these characters. It's not Riverdale, the TV show. There's a different flavor. So I get, I, I had some freedom within, within the constraints that they put on the project in general. I did have some freedom with how to represent these characters. Uh, and it is actually interesting because uh, um, the comic series, Jack Had the Hunger, it opens with, you know, I, I was reading it and I was trying to figure out, I was like, what's my angle? Like, what, what story do I want to tell in this universe? You know, what can I do that won't, directly conflict with what's on the page already mm-hmm. and they told me it didn't have to be like i, I didn't have to make it they weren't going to worry so much about me sticking entirely with canon um and it, and it was a good thing that they said that because it <laughs> it was sort of like but the comic series uh, i'm i am digressing but the comic series it opens with with exposition saying you know previously um and I was like, well, what if I take this exposition and I flesh it out and I turn it into kind of a prequel? So I'm writing a prequel to Jughead the Hunger. Mm. And I did that and I had to I had to take some creative liberties just to make the story come together um, and make it cohesive. But as I was writing the book, they continued writing the comic series and they ended up going back and fleshing out that exposition and writing their own version of it. So I think what I wrote cannot be considered canon with the series, but it is a tie-in. Like, it is basically taking place in that same universe. 
uh, I forget what was the question. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That's fine. I honestly, I, I don't remember what the question was either. Um, <laughs> um, I did want to ask though, because as you were talking, I was wondering, okay, so like full disclosure, I have never read an Archie comic. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So I know, I know very little about this, this world and these characters. Um, yeah. But I was, I'm wondering like when you were writing and when you took on uh, you know, you're going to write a book for this property, but like you mentioned, you get to do kind of an AU version of it. Yeah. Like, were you writing for Archie lovers? Were you writing for horror lovers? Or were you not even, were you just like writing for yourself or someone else? A little, you know, a mix of all the above. Um, because for me, I, I feel like just dipping my toe into these waters and any of it I'm writing for, for Archie lovers. Like I, I, I kind of feel like this, the target audience for um, Jughead the Hunger for Archie horror in general is kind of a mix of horror lovers and Archie comics lovers. And I, I you know, anything that I write, if it's going to bring me joy, I'm also writing for myself. So it's got to have, you know, my sense of humor is in there, my kind of, my sense of timing. I, I Something that I said to somebody that felt very liberating about this is that um, when we talk about the constraints that are put upon you when you're when you're working with characters that already exist in a universe that essentially already exists. Um, something that that is liberating is that I get to bring my style to it. So I I take my approach to writing horror, my approach to creating suspense, to to writing um, you know friendship drama and relationship drama and uh, just like humor and all that stuff, and I get to pour it into this. And so I take I take what works for me and I it's kind of like a formula, you know, I take what works for me and then I take these materials and I put them together. So it's kind of like, I take my formula and I plug their data into it. And then what comes out is this book. <laughs> right. Cause one of the things that I love about your style um, and your previous books is the way that you write mystery. Um, and you do a really great job uh, of, of, you know, kind of that Sherlock Holmesy. <laughs> there's these little clues, but there's also red herrings, um, and of course, that's what the mystery genre is is all about. And, and you just do yeah. such a wonderful job. And <laughs> I never know. I mean, I'm always guessing until the very end and the big reveal at the end, um, which maybe says more as much about me as a reader as <laughs> anyone as a writer. Um, is there another? Is there a mystery element in this book as well? Uh, there is, there is, and there isn't. It's sort of like, um, I love mystery. Obviously I love mysteries. I love suspense. And I think that there's, and there is kind of a fine line between them. I think, mm -hmm. I think a, a good mystery has suspense, but a good suspense story doesn't necessarily have to have mystery or it doesn't need to, it doesn't need to be a mystery for the reader, but it needs to be a mystery for the characters. Um, yeah. And one of my favorite authors, Mary Higgins Clark, who recently passed, um, I I fell in love with. Um, she's part of what made me fall in love with writing, and and I turn to her. I, I think about her a lot when I talk about how to craft suspense because she did such a great job of it. Because she would have, um, it would be you know her her books. The point of view would usually shift between you know a few characters, and she would do that to such a, a masterful degree like it, it, to create she would do that to create suspense where you would be inside a character's head up until the point that they learned something crucial and then you would jump out of their head and into somebody else's mm. who would have a different piece of the puzzle so as the reader 
you know more than the characters do. And it creates a tension where you're reading and you're saying, oh my gosh, no, don't go in there. Don't go in there. Like, cause you know what's behind the door, but they don't. And I brought some of those lessons into a werewolf in Riverdale where I have these characters each knowing a separate piece of this puzzle. And um, so for example, you know, the reader will know who the werewolf is, but the characters don't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so as Betty Betty Cooper, werewolf hunter extraordinaire, and I—I I, not a spoiler to re- to reveal that much. But as she <laughs> tries to figure out who amongst her group of friends is the werewolf, you already know, and you know more details than she does, and more details than other characters do. So there is a sense of mystery, um, but it is not—it's not a traditional. It's not like a whodunit. Uh, although, to uh, speaking to the whodunit, I always feel like I—I I think that. Um, I think the best mysteries are one where I do think they should keep you guessing. I do think that when, when whodunit is finally revealed, it shouldn't be like, it, it shouldn't be mind blowing. Like it shouldn't come out of nowhere. You should be able to look at it and say that makes <laughs> right, sense. Right. Right. It's yeah. the science teacher that you've never heard of. Yes, exactly. I'm like, <laughs> I, I, I feel like, you know, yeah, you want the, you want it to be a surprise. Like you want there to be an element of surprise to it. But also I, I think it, if it comes out of absolutely nowhere, then you didn't do your job. Like there should be, you need to establish, you need to establish enough information on the page that the reader, when they find out, they can say, oh, of course. Of course. Yes. Yeah. Why, why didn't I see that coming? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think, I mean, there's val- value in both types of stories um the ones yeah. where you know it is more of the whodunit and you have no idea and you're constantly guessing um until the very end and i love that and you establish it so well in so many of your books um but i also like like you were talking about before these books where the characters have the information and um as the reader you're you're waiting. It's the, the suspense isn't so much in figuring out that information. It's in waiting to see what the characters will do when they figure it out. Yes. Um, and I, I really, I really love that as well. In writing mysteries, um, which you've done now a number of them, like, do you have a process as far as, do you know the <laughs> ending? Do you, how do you go about putting in these red herrings and these clues? So, so yes, um, actually, you know, it's funny that this is, this is another, when I talk about sort of my journey to publication and how I became a writer, this is a story that I tell. Um, I, my, the very first thing that I ever wrote, I was in college and I started, I was writing, I thought it was a short story. And then I thought, oh, there's more to this. And I kept writing it and I kept writing it and I kept writing it and it got longer and longer and longer. And finally I was like, I'm writing a book. And <laughs> I was like, yeah, but, yeah, I know. I was like, I can't believe it. I'm writing a book. And I, <laughs> I finished it. Uh, I finished it. It came in at 160,000 words, and I could not edit to save my life because every word of it was precious. This is my first attempt, and I, you know, I, I just, I was like, how could I possibly cut anything? All of these words are important. Every bit of it. Yeah. And all 160,000. Oh, 160,000 <laughs> words, um, which, which is basically like twice as long as my debut um, last scene leaving, and. I just, but I couldn't, I couldn't possibly bear to part with any of it. And part of what got me there was, like I said, I started it as a short story. And so I didn't really know where I was going with it. I kind of kept thinking, you know, I had like the first, maybe the first third of it I had 
existing really concretely in my head. And then the middle section, I kind of had some like loose, like I sort of knew like the big stuff that I wanted to happen. And then I kind of figured out the ending as I went along. And that's how you get to a mystery that is 160,000 words because I kept painting myself into corners. Like I kept thinking, oh, I've got to have a clue. Like I got to have some, some clues and I got to have some red herrings. And so I'd kind of like write some in and then I'd figure out that I made the crime physiologically impossible to have been committed. And that I gave, <laughs> you know, that I gave all of my suspects airtight alibis because I was trying to make it seem like really, oh, who, who could it possibly be? It couldn't be this person. It couldn't be that person. Suddenly it can't be anybody, <laughs> you know? And then you've got to like introduce. So, so I figured out the hard way that I need to write from an outline um, to keep myself honest and so that I don't paint myself into corners. So a book, the way a book starts for me is, you know, I'll get an idea. I usually will, um, I'll spend like an afternoon just kind of introducing myself to the characters. I'll just, I'll just sort of start typing out the idea and I'll, it's just sort of like a, um, stream of consciousness. I will just open a word file and I will just start typing anything that comes to my mind about the story, about the characters, but how I want them to interact. Uh, and often I'll change my mind or I will come up with some new twist that negates something I put down earlier and I'll just keep writing. I'll just write everything. And then I will sit down and I will outline the story in detail. And my outlines can be anywhere from 10 to, I think my longest was 35 pages, 36. Mm. And it is, you know what, if I'm writing a mystery, I will think very specifically about the different clues. Like I'll think about who the suspects are and how I want to, um, you know, cause I, cause I need to give, I need to give the, the detective character a trail of breadcrumbs to follow. Mm-hmm. And it can't be a straight line or it'll be a little boring, but it, I, I have figured out from, from another one of my heroes, Stu Grafton, I did figure out that, that following a straight line, it doesn't have to be like, that can still be compelling. Like you can have a straight line that is compelling. You just have to, you have to make the journey interesting. Like you've got to, you have to be able to pick up the crumbs one at a time and have them lead you to the next and to the next and to the next. So it doesn't have to be complete chaos, mm-hmm. but you know, in order to, to make the destination less obvious, you know, you've got to, I, I have to think about that. And I've got to think about, you know, what the breadcrumbs are and how one will lead to the next and how this character is going to put these pieces together. And so I always think about that when I'm doing the outline. And then I basically, when I sit down to write, I try to follow the outline as, as faithfully as possible. I will, I will, every time I will find out that there is something that, you know, um, in the process of outlining, I didn't consider how one action or one event would impact the character's kind of emotions or psychology moving forward, which creates a different, you know, it reshapes certain aspects of the story. Um, And sometimes it means things that I wrote into the outline to take place later in the book can no longer really happen the same way. And so I've got to rethink those. Yeah. But yeah, so I I write from an outline and and it, and it keeps me honest. (laughs) I like to say it helps me stay mostly within like a, a reasonable word count um <laughs> less less of me trying to kind of like you know like a wily coyote like i'm trying to like paint the door on the wall so i can like escape from the <laughs> the corner that i've you know yeah so <laughs> yeah i i am also an outline writer um i don't know how much it helps me keep my word counts down though <laughs> maybe my outlines are too long maybe that's the problem but somehow my books always end up being enormous and I don't know how to make that stop happening. I, mine have gotten longer. You know, it's so funny because my, my, let's see, last scene leaving was around 90,000 words. And then 
White Rabbit, I think, was around 94, 96. Mm-hmm. And then Death Prefers Blondes was uh, 120. Um, and I, The Fell of Dark is about, uh, it's like 104. I think, I think A Werewolf in Riverdale is, is much shorter. It's only about 60,000 words. Um, yeah, I definitely... Whatever the book needs, you know, different books need, need yeah. different lengths um, and yes. have different levels of complexity. Yes. Um, so, so yeah, it's not, we don't always have to edit ourselves just for the sake of editing ourselves. Right. Um, but, but yeah, I, I struggle. I struggle to keep my word count low sometimes. Okay. <laughs> um, you mentioned the fell of dark, yeah. uh, which I, I saw on your website, but there was very little information. So I don't know anything <laughs> about it. <laughs> what, yeah. what is the fell of dark? So the fell of dark is, um, it is a, paranormal thriller it is a a, a an apocalyptic vampire adventure Ooh, uh, yeah that sounds a, fun yeah yeah it's sort of a um so i i another one of my big storytelling influences is buffy the vampire slayer and uh, 10 years ago i tried to write a vampire story because they were all the rage um <laughs> but you know i was one of millions of people who were trying to write vampire stories and and i have since learned that if you can identify a trend, it's too late. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, yeah. So, but it was good practice. Uh, and I really got to, uh, and like I said, I, I, Buffy was such a big influence on me as a storyteller that it was really exciting for me to, to get my hands on those tropes, like these very familiar tropes. You know, vampires were kind of over for a season but I had this, I had come up with a, a very complex universe. I had written the, what, what I intended to be the first of five books, and I had kind of thumbnail sketched all of the different plots and how these characters, you know, how things would develop for them. And uh, last year, when Sandra Mitchell approached me about contributing to Out Now, I I kind of struggled to come up with a, a story that I wanted to tell. And eventually I was like, you know what? I want to write, I want to write about vampires. I was like, I still, I was like, I really want to write about that. And um, so I did, I just read, it's a little short story. I, and I loved it. It's about this short story. It's called what happens in the closet. And it's about two boys hiding from a vampire invasion at their homecoming dance. <laughs> um, and I, I just had so much fun with it. And I thought, I was like, I don't want to let this universe go. And, and, and it was right around the same time that I was writing that, that um, Renee Adia announced the Beautiful trilogy. She was introducing uh, a world of vampires with people of color. And uh, Zoraida Cordova announced, uh, um, was it Vampires Never Die? An anth- that anthology? Vampires Never Get Old. That's what it's called. Ah, uh, okay. And I had... I had so much fun writing that short story. I immediately, I had actually already outlined um, another book and I scrapped it and I, I, <laughs> I had outlined it. And I had started writing. I'd written the first like 500 words and I scrapped it and I wrote my editor an email and I just said, I was like, I want to write a book about vampires and here is my, here's my idea. And it was, I basically, I kind of took, the book that I'd written 10 years ago and I updated it and I changed what felt like it needed changing, but I wanted, I was like, I was like, I'm going to take that story and I'm going to turn it into one book that is just packed with all the rip roaring adventure that I, I intended to be over five books. And I'm going to just pick my favorite parts and I'm going to put them together into this one story. I'm going to tell my vampire story 
now when vampires are on trend again before the (laughs) too late i want to get my vampire story out there and she said yes she was she was thrilled with it and then I, I, then I picked up that, that book that I'd written 10 years ago and I was like, oh, wow, this is terrible. I, I, <laughs> I was, I was, I was like, wondering, I, I thought we might get to that moment. Yeah, exactly. I was, like, <laughs> I was like, this was not nearly as good as I thought it was. And I have grown a lot as a writer. So, uh, so uh, thank goodness. So I basically, I scrapped everything about it except for one twist. There was one mm. twist that I, I intended to take place over the course of, I think, two or three books. And instead it now takes place in one book, but... I just I wanted that twist. I wanted to get that twist out there. So, so basically, it is the story of Augie Pfeiffer, who is a, um, a sarcastic art nerd who lives in a kind of decaying suburb of Chicago. Uh, and it also happens to lie at a nexus of ley lines. Um, and uh, for people who don't know, ley lines are... Um, geez, I don't even know how to define them. Mm, but, yeah, like... yeah lines of supernatural energy Energy, exactly yeah Yeah. but basically uh, the theory goes that there are certain mystic sites that pepper the earth and that when they are in alignment they create yeah like a like a a line of energy and so fulton heights illinois lies at the intersection of two of these ley lines and the vibration of this nexus draws paranormal activity so vampires which everybody knows about it's sort of like a i took it it's a little bit of a true blood kind of a flavor there where everybody vampires are a known entity oh Um, okay yeah and they're a nuisance but they're not you know it's sort of like in in fulton heights maybe three people die from exsanguination a year um (laughs) so because it is in vampires best interests not to kill their victims because then people get all torches and pitchforks so <laughs> I'm glad they've not, learned. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So they're a known entity and they're they're annoying, but they're not it's not a you know, it's not a national emergency. But everybody in town takes the necessary precautions. But anyway, one day Augie is approached by a vampire who tells him that the world as we know it is coming to an end and that Augie might be the only one who can stop that from happening. So it's a little bit of my my take on the chosen one. Um, it's a little bit like basically I say it's Simon Spear the Vampire Slayer. Uh, <laughs> so so if you had this kind of um, neurotic art nerd kid who suddenly has to um, save the day, and that is that's sort of the concept behind the story. So there are there's vampires and there's witches. There's magic and mayhem and makeouts and it's it's all the stuff that i love <laughs> it's a lot <laughs> of stuff that i love too yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's really yeah. really fun yeah <laughs> and is it just going to be the one book now um down from five to one or is yeah. there going to be more i definitely there is room in this universe for more so if there is a good response i i could absolutely continue adventures either with these characters or i could write about that i have I populated this with a lot of characters that feel very vibrant to me and to have more stories in them than just this one. So I could always jump into the head of a different character and tell their story or tell, tell the origin story of some of the vampires that appear in the book. Mm -hmm. um, Because that also would be a lot of fun, get sort of some historical fiction in there as well. This, and this book does have, um, there are, little vignettes that take place throughout history uh going back in time so there's 
I would say there there are cameo appearances from some uh, some very recognizable uh, names from history, including um, including the the Scottish noble who inspired Shakespeare's tragedy of Macbeth. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I love that story. I mean, I I feel like so many of us have you know, books or stories um, that we, you know, started or maybe rewrote a complete draft of, maybe we tried to get it published years and years ago. Um, and I feel like more often than not, those just kind of disappear into the ether um, and we never go back to them, um, you know, and they, yeah. they just live on in our, our drawers or the, the depths of our computers, never to see the light of day. Um, so I, I like hearing another perspective that you actually went back and you still had something that you loved about it um, and were able to, to actually do something with it. I feel like that's an unusual but cool yeah. story. Yeah, and, and this is actually, it's my second time um, because Death Prefers Blondes was a similar project. Oh, where, really? Yeah, I had, and, and that's, a, that's a much, it's a, it's a longer and more complicated story, but I, I had, it was an idea that I came up with when I was, 17, 18, 19, something like that. I was oh, a teenager. Wow. Yeah. When I first came up with the, I mean, I want to say the, the first version of that idea, it was very simple. It was just, I had this idea for a book about an heiress named Margot, who, who <laughs> all I knew about her is that she drove a cool car and she hated her dad and I didn't know why. And I, over time, I fleshed that out. And I, over time, I mean, over the course of maybe a decade, I kind of fleshed out a story and I finally I wrote it as a screenplay because I, I that's what I thought I was I, I I remember watching the Charlie's Angels movie the 2000 remake love and think, love yeah, Charlie's Angels yeah and I, I remember thinking this this is the vibe that I want for that story like this is this is the vibe I want for Margot's story this yeah kind of, yeah bright colors lots of like like music color like the motifs just this sort of over-the-top heightened reality um and so I thought I was writing an action movie and I did, but I don't know how to write movies. So it was terrible. And, <laughs> but again, again, sometimes when you have these ideas and then you kind of shelve them, they, they become more attractive in your memory <laughs> than they mm. were. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> sort of like you look back and with rose colored glasses and when I was trying to figure out what would follow my debut, I, sent an email to my editor and I said, you know, I've, I've completed a mystery called White Rabbit. Uh, and, you know, for your reading enjoyment, here is a sample. Um, but if you don't like it, here are some other ideas that I have. And one of them was the book that would become Death Prefers Blondes, which at the time uh, I was calling, my original draft was called Mad Margot. And then I changed it to Bitter Business, which is a quote from Hamlet because Hamlet inspired the story. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. It's I tell people it is an action adventure retelling of Hamlet about a rebel heiress and four kickboxing drag queens who perform a series of art and jewel heists across the city of Los Angeles and eventually run afoul of a deadly international conspiracy. <laughs> Pause, because that was like yeah. a lot for listeners to take in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So so when I sat to, so I, I pulled up what was a script and I just thought I was like, oh, this will be, you know, a walk in the park. I'll just, all I have to do is adapt from a screenplay to a book, except that the screenplay was real bad. It was real bad. I didn't even realize that I had named Margot's father Hugo. I had scenes between Margot and Hugo. And I was like, what is this? Like, what was I thinking? So I, 
I changed a lot of names. I fleshed out a lot of characters. And it was just some of it was, it's a lot of concept. And this is why it is also my longest work to date because all of this concept needed to, it needed to be given, you know, depth and context. And I needed to, I needed to update it. I needed to make it more sophisticated. I needed to give the characters like more realistic motivations. Um, so yeah, so I, I, but it's basically the same story. It's just more, yeah. <laughs> it's just better. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, so I, I, that is a story that, um, that I had, I sort of like repurposed something that I'd done earlier. Uh, and it's much more so that than the fell of dark, which is just sort of a, a general concept that I, I, I revisited. Um, yeah. Death prefers blondes was a f- complete story that I retold. I see. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they were in your head still. They hadn't let go yet. Yes. Um, well, I loved Death Prefer Blonde, Prefers Blondes. Um, I'm a sucker for heist stories in general. Yes. Um, and, and you did just such a fun, fun twist on the heist story, you know, with the, <laughs> the rich heiress debutante um, and her drag <laughs> queen friends. And I mean, just so over the top um, yeah. but in a really great cinemagraphic way. Um, so yeah, highly recommend readers check it out. Um, all right. We are going to end, wrap this up with a quick happy writer lightning round. <gasps> Ooh, excellent. <laughs> I'm glad you got excited. I, know, I love these. Some of the people I've been interviewing, you're like panic at the end of the <laughs> lightning round. <laughs> so I'm glad you're on board. Um, all right. First up, what book makes you happy? Oh, okay. The first thing that comes to mind is F is for Fugitive by Sue Grafton. Because because I was just talking about this book. Um, uh, It is my favorite of her, her, the Alphabet series. Sue Grafton made me want to write mysteries. Like she made me want to be a writer. And F is for Fugitive is is the perfect, it is my favorite of her books. I I mean, maybe, maybe actually T is for Trespass is my favorite. But F is for Fugitive was for such a long time. Like I, I just, I loved it. It's funny. It's engaging. It is smart. It's suspenseful. It, the mystery is great. It's just, it's, it's her at, at the top of her game. So it's got all the things. Yeah. Uh, what do you do to celebrate an accomplishment? Oh my gosh. Um, to celebrate an accomplishment, we usually buy champagne. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, it's a very obvious choice, but it's also just kind of like, I, I do think it's really important to celebrate your accomplishments. And I feel like that's a, that is a, a, it's simple. It's within grasp. There is a really nice locally owned wine shop that is a block away from where we live. So we support local business and we, and we celebrate. <laughs> Bonus. No, I think that there's a reason that champagne is yeah. a celebratory drink. I'm, I'm a fan of the champagne as well. Yeah. Uh, how do you fill the creative well? Uh, you know what? I exercise. I, I, um, I always sound, I always feel like I sound so, so impossible when I, when I give this answer, like people are like, Oh, <laughs> one but, of those. yeah, one of those people, <laughs> but I run, I find that for me running is, uh, and I, and I, I tell people it's because of my whole body for, for a period of time, usually about 45 minutes, my entire body is occupied in a single activity, which is, I call it don't die. <laughs> so, you know, I just, I keep moving. I, I, I'm trying to breathe. I'm trying to just, my whole body needs to engage with this, which frees my mind 
to just think. Yeah. And, and I don't get that. And I find I don't get it when I like on, on an exercise bike or, you know, stuff like that. I just, for whatever reason, I don't get the same release, but when I run it, absolutely. There's something about, there's something about the changing environment, something about the, the, what little, you know, I, the processes that my, that occupy my body and my brain allows my creativity to flow. Mm-hmm. And I work through all of my trickiest plot points when I'm running. When you and I were on book tour together, um, we were on one of the Fierce Reads tours. I don't know how many, like three or four years ago, maybe even longer yeah. than that. Um, and you gave that answer. What? No? Yeah. 2016. 2016. So four years yeah. ago. Um, and I remember you talking about running and how it helped you creatively. And I was totally <laughs> one of the people on the panel that was rolling my eyes. At you. <laughs> oh, yeah. running. Yeah. Um, but since then I've actually taken up a running habit myself. Um, oh, that's great. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. except for not lately cause quarantine, but, um, <laughs> yeah, but, and so I, I kind of get it now and I'm sorry for mocking you. No, no, I, no, because I totally get it. I, I feel like uh, uh, I, it's because I think because uh, it works for me. It doesn't necessarily work for everybody. Um, but I also I feel like it's like I just don't want to be one of those people who's like, it's like, come on, kids, get, let's get out there. You know, it's a beautiful day, and you know, nice but and fresh sometimes air. Sometimes we do need a cheerleader. Yeah. <laughs> um, what are you reading now, or what is next on your TBR? Uh, I actually, so I just finished um, Half-Life by Lillian Clark, and that comes out in May, I think that comes out next month, or, or June, I think maybe it comes out in June, and it's great, that's great, it's a, it's, it's, it's Judy Bloom meets Black Mirror, it is about, um, yeah, it's about a girl, Lillian Clark, her debut in Moral Code is fantastic. It is also, I, I always, I recommend it to people who like Death Prefers Blondes because it's another, it's a heist story about a group of friends, like this close network of friends who try to perform this heist together. Half-Life is about a girl named Lucille who is an overachiever and a perfectionist when her life is falling apart. And she gets this offer from a scientific, an independent scientific outfit called Life Squared. And they tell her that she can take part in this experiment to be cloned and they will, there will be two of her. And she sees it as the perfect solution to fix all the things that are wrong with her life. Hmm. But of course it does not go the way that she expects it to. And it's, it's just, uh, Lillian Clark writes prickly girls so well. Um, And I find, I think that that is, I, I think that that's a really, it's like a really cool, because there's always this question of likability when, when it comes to female characters. Mm-hmm. And she does such a great job of writing these prickly characters who you love um, and who defy these sort of this conventional um, sort of outdated belief that girls have to behave a very specific kind of way to be sympathetic. And, um, and she does interpersonal relationships so well. So anyway, it's a great book. And then I just picked up... Um, what Goes Up by Katie Kennedy. Well, that was not very lightning roundish, but I always appreciate new recommendations. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I know. I'm I like you. lightning rounds because I like to ramble. <laughs> um, okay, last question. Where can people find you? Oh, okay. So please look for me on Twitter. Um, my handle is Michaela Rarig, M-I-K-A-L-E-B-R-O-E-H-R-I-G. On Instagram, I am Caleb Rarig, all one word, C-A-L-E-B-R-O-E-H-R-I-G. And my website is calebrarig.com. 
Awesome. Thank you so much for joining me today, Caleb. It was My so much pleasure. fun to talk to you. Yeah, thank you for having me. This was really fun. <laughs> yeah, my pleasure. Anytime you want to come on, um, would be happy to chat. Uh, and you have so many things coming out, so we'll have to do yes. this again. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> um, readers, definitely check out Caleb's newest, A Werewolf in Riverdale, um, which is out now. Uh, or you can pre-order The Fell of Dark. Uh, and of course, we always encourage you supporting your local indie bookstore if you can. Yes. Please make sure to subscribe to this podcast, um, or you can follow me on Instagram at Marissa Meyer Author. Uh, you can also email me at my website, marissameyer.com, and let me know what author you would most like me to talk to in a future episode. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, I hope you guys are staying healthy, uh, stay cozy in your bunkers, and please try your best to make someone else's day a little bit brighter. <laughs>